Um, With a fresh coating of lemon. <laughs> that's right. Um, all right. Uh, welcome back to another episode of Life Behind Beer, a podcast by Iron Horse Brewery. My name is Jared. <laughs> and I'm Wes. And I'm Greg. Hey, Greg. Hi. Welcome. Thanks. Uh, I understand that you're a, you're a market manager in, at Iron Horse. Um, I was the... Ellensburg sub-market manager assistant yeah. for a brief period of time. Um, and then I was uh, promoted to market manager, sub-market, Ellensburg sub-market manager, and then demoted back to assistant. Right. Although maybe not even assistant at this point. I might I just... You're, you're fired. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, huh, that's weird. They said um, laid off, I think was the word, oh, or downsizing. A, a reduction in force. Hmm. Yeah. A reorganization. Is what I heard. Yeah, that's well, that's different. Well, now you're stuck on this uh, podcast, so that's uh, thank you for showing up. Uh, so today's beer, I thought it, we would uh, take a different approach and and drink our own product. And uh, that's crazy. Yeah, so weird to talk about our own beer. Uh, high five, Hef, Hefe, Hefeweizen, Hefeweizen. Yeah, right. Uh, I part partly the the reason for this beer. One, it was in our fridge, so it was available. But the other was there's a rumor that this was this beer was originated in your bathroom. Yeah, in sometimes you'll Montana. hear bathtub, bathtub, which yeah. makes it sound you know like uh, like a bathtub gin. Yeah, like <laughs> it was prohibition and uh, you couldn't get good brewing equipment, so it just brewed in the bathtub. But that's not true, right? Uh, do you want to tell us what you know how you came up with the recipe and what you? Uh, yeah, intended? usually when I tell the story, um, I think I add too much detail and people's eyes kind of glaze over a little bit. All right. I'm going to do that here anyways. <laughs> Perfect. Well, we can all they can just fast forward. Right? <laughs> yeah. We have forty. By the way, we have forty million listeners now. Uh, so, Is that all? Yeah, huh. I know. It, it's yeah. up. We're up, but yeah, it's, that's we're good. still there. Um. So yeah, this was early in the home brewing phase where I was work co- working at a co-op deli and the guy that worked next to me was trained as a chef and he's telling me that it's silly that the deli peels the ginger and tosses away the peels because it's as useful as the meat of the ginger apparently. So um so we started collecting the peels hmm. from work. And uh Wes has a question coming in here. No, it's okay. I'm this sorry. this is what makes it interesting, yeah, John. That's right. John just added to the equation. Um, so we're saving it, and I've got all these peels of ginger in my freezer, and it just keeps adding up because you know a hoarding. And finally, uh, decided I need to brew something with it, and uh, ginger honey wheat was for some reason just came to mind. You know, it was summertime. You're like, this will work. Yeah. Yeah, what do you do with this ginger? Oh, you make beer with it. Uh, what kind of beer do you make with it? Um, something light and zesty and refreshing. Uh, and so it did get fermented in my bathroom. It was in a carboy, sealed with a airlock, you know, proper. And I didn't, like, brew it and rack it in the bathroom because that would not be the best idea. But once it's sealed, I think it was safe. So this is one of those the one of those uh, hero stories or you know success stories of going from a, a home brew to full on production production brew over the course of you know forty two years right I mean this was yeah. two years ago two thousand six wow nineteen oh six and um, Wes uh, since you ha- you're forced to brew this amazing concoction <laughs> uh, wh- how is the process how is it um, you know, I imagine there's quite a bit of difference between the homebrew version to 
today's version and how that how that is to brew is like anything else are there challenges with adding honey and well uh i'd say the nice thing is we use a lot of wheat in this beer but due to how complex and incredible the technology is for our brew house uh whereas that might be an issue um with mashing and things like that for home brewers we don't really have to worry about that uh and then the uh flavor additions like the honey and ginger we actually add after the boil so in the whirlpool and uh it's a lot a lot of honey i mean it's a little heavy carrying it up there and dumping it in what is it like 120 pounds they're 60 pound buckets yeah so two of those per batch yeah Mm -hmm. yeah but nothing too crazy it all works out and i really like ginger so that's one of my favorite things about this beer is that component of the flavor yeah and you know the uh the the one of the taglines no no fruit required right because of yeah. the, that combination of the that we get from ginger and the honey coming together uh incidentally this is the first product that we canned yeah that's right, right. but and ross has always given me shit oh it's just your baby and you just want it <laughs> right and uh you know maybe i don't know i don't think so i don't think i have that bias i think we could kill this one if needed but it seems like it's performed at least that's what I tell myself. That's why it still exists. Well, the good thing, there's data too. And that it shows that yeah. it's a consistent performer. Well, I drew a chart on a piece of paper. Right. And it showed that it was probably the best brand ever made. There's there's nothing to deny a chart that's on the internet. <laughs> yeah. It's true. <laughs> Absolutely. Good deal. All right. Well, we got a... So anyway, I like... Here's the thing I want to say about High Five. There are, there are times when I have it where I don't like it at all. And then there's times when I have it, I go, God, that's I a love great this endorsement. Beer. Oh, I know. It's fantastic. <laughs> I'm just being honest. Yeah, you uh, should. Right. Uh, Thanks, Larry David. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you for bringing that in. I think it's important. But it, it constantly surprises me how much I, when I do drink it, that I, when I love it, I'm like, man, this is good. Why yeah. don't I drink more of it? So maybe I'm representing what happens in the marketplace because it tends to be in those warmer months. Yeah, that for I sure. I like the beer, but. Uh, the thing I hear fairly routinely, and it was my experience with this beer as well, is, you know, I don't, you'll hear a consumer say, I don't really like Hefeweizens. And uh, I didn't really either. And I think that's why I, I thought, if I'm going to make a wheat beer, let's add some flavor. Because Hefeweizens tend to be a little boring, unless they're the German ones, in which case I think they're kind of gross, personally. Again, that's just a personal opinion. Um so yeah, find people, you know, I don't normally like half of Weissens, but I like this beer, which is a good time to come clean about the fact it's not really a half of Weissens. It's more of an American style wheat beer, I think, if uh, we had to put it in a category, but that does not roll off the tongue. High five American style wheat beer. So we take our liberties. Yeah, we, we interpret and, you know, Wes has to be okay with it. <laughs> yeah, it predated you, Wes. Sorry. I don't think it really matters if I'm okay with it or not. Oh, sure it does. Well, we'd like for you to be okay with it, but yeah. we're also okay with you not being okay with it and continuing on in the way that we're doing <laughs> as it goes um okay do, do we want to talk about the organoleptic experience we're having at all or uh sure get into it i mean wes really is the guy that has the palate to to beat all palates um you know i noticed a little bit of spice and the floral uh you know from the ginger and the honey and there's always this subtle herbal note that i've actually wished i could eliminate or reduce but i don't think the majority of people feel that way or we'll pick up on it they yeah, couldn't identify perhaps it. not 
you're always critical of your own kids the most, you know, I'm yelling at my kids and some other kid does the same thing. I'm like, Oh, that's so cute. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. My kids are perfect. (laughs) One thing I like about this beer is it has the flavor of honey, but it doesn't have, uh, an over amount of sweetness Uh, from the honey. A lot of the sugars from the honey are fermented out. So it still retains a nice amount of the flavor compounds, but not all the sugars. Uh, and on the kind of the same token, I like that there's some components from the wheat there. It has kind of that more rounded, smooth mouthfeel that I attribute to wheat. Mm. But it's not really heavy or kind of chewy like some wheat beers are. Sure. It's still wide enough to be a good, refreshing beer in the summer. You know what I've noticed with this beer? Um, the people that – this is a different – it's a tangent. The people that love Irish Death also love High Five Hef. Hmm. Uh, and I think it has to do with that just general, uh, the swallowability of it. Yeah. I think I just made that term up, right? <laughs> it's it's high on the smoothness <laughs> in the meter. It's a smooth, it's just, you know, it's like incredibly, it's an incredibly smooth beer. There's sure. just a lot of nuance as you're drinking it, you know, to get some of that spice from the ginger and that little bit of sweetness as you've talked about. Smooth but not boring. Right. Yeah. 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 I've also, a lot, I've talked to a lot of people that said High Five was the first Iron Horse beer they enjoyed. And hmm. then that kind of opened them up to trying other beers from Iron Horse. Oh, interesting. And uh, they started to kind of branch out and try other ones as well and enjoy those. But this was the first one out of our product range that they really liked and drank a lot. Well, if, if that's not enough evidence to tell Ross to shove it up, you know, shove it up his butt. That, yeah. You know, are, we spo- here to- are we supposed to be G-rated now? Because I think I already said shit. No, no. We just okay. always put explicit. Just for okay. fun. But you, you, you correct or you were cautious there, so I just wanted to make sure I was Well, isn't it a funnier insult to say shove it up your butt? <laughs> right? You know, we just discovered the best insult is you know, you want to call someone a baby, like, oh, you're such a baby. Don't do that. Call him a diaper baby. Oh yeah. You're a diaper baby. <laughs> yeah. It's tenfold <laughs> yeah. more insulting. I think you're right. I think it's pretty good. Um yeah, anyway, yeah, anyway, it's a good job. Thanks for making this uh to you know, nearly twelve years ago. Jeez. Whoa. Holy shit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so on our agenda, we're going to talk about a, uh, a documentary, you know, a little bit of AB talk, some Lagunitas, and uh, some brewery changes. So the beer business. Beer business. We're basically just summarizing Brewbound's top headlines. That yeah. just occurred to me. That's like we're just now a mouthpiece for them. Huh. But well, All right. They're, their content's good. Why not? Yeah. And they're doing all the heavy lifting. Yeah. We just got to do that. Uh, so the first is... Uh, it's kind of like Mystery Science Theater 3000, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, do you know that was? Yeah. <laughs> God, that drove me crazy when I was a kid. I turned on Comedy Central. I'm like, God damn it. I don't want to watch this. And now as an adult, I'm like, what was I thinking? That yeah, was probably the best amazing. show ever. Yeah. <laughs> just trolling uh, way back when. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty much uh, U.S. culture now. Yeah. That's all we ever do. Uh yeah, so there's a documentary that's coming out uh, about Stone Brewing, Greg Cook. I think that's right. Right? K-O-C-H. I really want to say cock just because <laughs> that's what I just see, though, but I think it's... For obvious uh, reasons. Yeah. Well, there's like three ways you can say it. It's Coke, right. Cook, or cock, I think, yeah, is yeah, act, yeah. an actual option. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so... If there are any cocks, uh, Cokes, Cooks out there... <laughs> yeah. Call in. Yeah. Tell us what you be, are. Out of 40 million of you, there should be at least one of you. <laughs> Call uh, in. So uh, they, they made a documentary uh, about their expansion into, into Germany. What struck me, the reason I'm bringing it up, is the title of the documentary, The Beer Jesus of America. And, um, boy, if that's not going to... 
stoke an ego. I don't know what's going to, but um, I think ultimately having a documentary like this, the more we have, the better it is for craft beer. I'm certainly not arguing against that. Yeah. Uh, I'm just wondering how that title was arrived at. Well, I, according to the article, uh, it sounded like uh, there was a German tabloid that was talking about the expansion and kind of called Greg something along those lines, and uh, it got mistranslated or right. something like that. And so I will say it wasn't something that they, they derived or Greg is, was going around calling himself. So they meant to say like something like the beer journeyman, and yeah. someone's like, yeah. "That says Jesus." That says Jesus. Yeah. yeah. What I like is the American Jesus. You know, as far as I'm aware, there's only there's one Jesus, according right. to people that are into Jesus. Right. But in this case, we have an American beer Jesus. So are they like? Does every country get their own beer Jesus? I know. Where's the there was the Malaysian Jesus? <laughs> yeah. Didn't they? Aren't they uh, flooding right now? Maybe yeah. he's probably attending to the floods. Could be. Could be yeah. doing that. Well, the, the, what's interesting is the juxtaposition too of having. Uh, his photo, his likeness with, you know, an extra shaggy beard and uh, long hair. Yeah, well, you can see the reference for Give, sure. Giving more in that vein, so it's it's kind of interesting. But uh, I, you know, just by and large, because his name is Greg, think he's a, an amazing person. I was going to ask you, that's funny, I was going to ask you that question, and I just... Yeah. Well, it's a pretty much a foregone conclusion. If your name is Greg, yeah. you're pretty sweet. Uh, and Greg Cook has proven time and again that he's committed to the industry and committed to independence. And it's, I mean, with a position like he's in, I mean, good God. Right. Uh, you know, Ballast Point, they made a billion dollars and he could probably go do the same. But he instead pissed away $25 million on a brewery in Germany. Right. To and, forward the cause and and to uh, and you know to also fight the man right with the whole stone oh, yeah. lawsuit. And yeah, keep it. He's he's not backing down. And it seems like Keystone's doubling down. I saw a billboard the other day that was. Oh yeah, felt they, like even more are. of a shot across the bow. Yeah, they are. They're they're really going for it. Pricks, how dare they? Uh, anyway, I you know I think they they had the website up for a little bit and then they took it down. So sometime next year. I want to say, or maybe in, maybe it's late September. Maybe it's coming out soon. They're going to it's, start releasing. It sounded like it went really well. Like it turned into one of the reality show disasters that they try to fabricate. Where there was, you know, at one point they said they were just um, didn't know what disaster to follow with the camera, so they just kept it rolling. So you know, could be interesting, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, anything else you want to say on that one? Well, I think the important question is. Uh, Greg, if we were going to refer to you as the beer version of some religious figure. <laughs> oh, yeah. You make a good point, Wes. Um, oh, that's interesting. I'm actually reading a book, uh, Digs into Spirituality. So probably we're all uh, one of the emptiness and one taste. So I would be the physical manifestation of the beer emptiness. Hmm, like an empty can? Like the, the feeling you get when it's all gone. I think that's essentially what's you know, <laughs> okay. it's like. I need more. So the the beer emptiness of America. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what it's like. Yeah. Uh, all right. I, I hope to aspire to that. Anyways, we that's should. What I'm working on. We we should. That should be a work in progress. I like that question. Uh, it's, yeah. it's it's not an easy one to answer. No. Um, another headline: reorganization efforts continue at Anheuser Busch. Uh, I, you know, I like to kind of keep bringing these guys up because it shows that they're struggling and having to do uh, whatever they can to not keep losing market share, especially in the U.S. 
they're, I think they gain overall in, in the world, but U.S., they're seeing steady declines. That yeah. still amounts to massive amounts of billions of dollars and massive amounts of beer being sold. Yeah. But um, what's interesting is they, they split the, the high-end craft and import division into two separate business units. First, I'm like, why wasn't that the case to begin with? But the other, uh, so there's that, and the other one was, why can't they just say we just want to make more money? That's what that's what the whole this whole thing should just be, you know, and just be overt. I think they would actually garner more respect yeah. from people in the U.S. in particular if they just were more they should have just said, about it. You know, it's expensive. People, yeah, we're gonna fire a bunch. <laughs> we're gonna fire them. <laughs> there you go, shareholders. You got what you wanted. Yeah, you win. Uh, you know the. Th- but, and maybe I missed this, but I thought in the article it said that there was now, you know, how they broke up their division of business was premium and super premium work category. So they're mar- they okay. segmented their marketing to premium, super premium. But there wasn't a craft segment, was there? Value. Mm-hmm. I think craft falls into the super premium. Right. Yeah. Which is interesting. You know, it's already it's already commoditized in their right. mind. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's nothing special. Just lump it in with, a, a you know, a category like the Rita's and... Just make it that Which, way. I think we know what the favorite flavor is. Yeah. But Beyond reference. Beer gets its own category, apparently. Beyond Beer, yeah. Bud Light and Michelob Ultra both get their own category as well for marketing. Did you say Chickalobe Ultra? Just Chickalobe. To, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, those are great. And, you know, yeah. Uh, I mean, I like Miller 64. That's probably, it's probably a shitty thing for me to say these days. It should be more more uh, sensitive, Greg. Sorry. Uh, here's the here's probably where you're going to be a little conflicted. Uh, succeeding Fredericks in Region Six, wherever that region is, will be Greg Soliazzo. So hmm. you you like him? I doubt that's his real name. Oh yeah, good point. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen to his last name. Yeah. I don't think I don't think he was born here, and I don't think they name people Greg in Brazil. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good point. Yep. <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, you know. So, yeah, to, to your point, I think probably the biggest takeaway is cr- the word craft has just been absorbed and now it's its own. It's not even a, a category to be identified within their, yeah. their strategy. That's how special it is to AB. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. With no surprise. I mean, their job is not to make beer. Their job is to make money. Right. America beer. Uh <laughs> So next, moving on, uh, Lagunitas CEO discusses mid-year growth, international expansion plans. Here's why. Here's why I called this out. Like I, I've I've been a fan of Lagunitas. I know you have, Greg, mm-hmm. uh, in in the past. Um, reached out to Tony McGee, who never responded to your email. I don't think that's right. I did email him, yeah. and I I think I asked him for a date. Yeah, it's kind of like a business type date. You know, just a few minutes of his time. Right. And uh, no, not even a response. Which you probably should have led with, "Hey, let's smoke some weed together." <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> and I blew it. Been okay, but here's uh, here's what I what prompted me to add this to today's podcast. Midway through 2018, Lagunitas Brewing Company is the only top five U.S. craft beer brand gaining dollar share. That's crazy. Craft? Do, are they still craft? Uh, well, that depends on whose definition you want to follow. Uh, I wouldn't call them craft. Right. I would um, give some props to their newfound resources that have prompted them to find niches in the marketplace that are pretty impressive. I mean, you look at the, some of the, the products they're offering and their innovation and oh yeah, it's it's enviable, no question. They're they're not just following trends that appear to be creating some. Yeah, so they don't they don't meet the, you know, the the US definition, yeah, the, the BA definition of craft because of the ownership. Yeah. But they certainly seem to be living as much of what it means to be craft and independent as you 
can be. I'm pretty right. sure they're now the super premium category. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's it. Yeah. Uh, AB's over there going, them sons of bitches at Lagunitas in the super premium category are kicking our asses with this cannabinoid sparkling water. <laughs> yeah, this, this hop water, that's the, that's the, the big yeah. takeaway there. I mean, like. It's like, I'm going to get me some of that. Yeah, I'm going to try it. <laughs> and then we'll field test it and then we'll make our own because I think we joked about it at some point in one conversation about making a. You know, a spiked seltzer of beer flavored, you know, yeah. seltzer. So they did it. Um, I guess that's what kind of happens when you're already a big brewery, but then you also get an infusion of cash to to make it happen. So, yeah, not afraid to take some risks. You know, I, I guess that's one in one way that they seem to be continue to be craft like is that they're they're putting stuff out there. You know, I mean you look at some of the other big players and it's like just derivatives of things they've already done or things other people are already doing and yeah so you know they maintain that entrepreneurial spirit yeah. while being part of a mega conglomerate so that's that's pretty I, cool i know and that's the, the one that's the one thing i think i said this before uh I, i've always been a fan of heineken's their consumer camp their consumer campaigns and their marketing they i think they've done really they do it they do a pretty fantastic job of creating inter good interactive experiences over different uh you know programs and different opportunities throughout so i think that they encourage that kind of innovation anyway so yeah. you can see why i could see why tony mcgee and the organization would be inclined to take more of those dollars right he's obviously a smart dude i just think about the uh the fact that this brand is aligned with a package that for all technical intents and purposes is a terrible one green glass like yeah, what, what yeah. a dilemma you know all this time you're like we're doing all these things right we're so smart but our beer smells like a skunk's ass because of the packaging that is now synonymous with our brand what do you do and and uh wes you want to chime in what what is why why is it why is green or white glass in particular bad for beer? uh it's Basically, light is just going to deteriorate certain compounds in the beer, uh, mostly derived from hops and things like that in the finished beer, and uh, denature those and turn them into different compounds that smell awful. Skunky, right? Yeah. Skunky, that's the... And literally the same compound as a skunk mm -hmm. would emit. Yep. When pushed, is there a way to prevent that? Is there a way to put so that when the compounds break down, it actually smells fantastic, hmm. so that you can plan it? You know, that would be cool. There are, I know Corona, and maybe some other brands have played with uh, additives that uh, either slow the pro uh, progress of that happening or completely try to stop it I it's like don't it's like a 30 day old dead skunk it's not a <laughs> not a fresh dead skunk yeah yeah there's I, I think there's things that could be done but they could also have other effects on the beer as well so it's kind of a hit or miss right sure yeah well anytime you adulterate it in one way it affects it another yeah and to greg's point a lot of those brands are associated with uh the certain type of bottle but also, a lot of people are now used to that flavor yeah. in the beer. Uh -huh. And if you went and technically fixed the beer and made it not skunky, it'd be a totally different flavor that uh, your consumers aren't used to. And when you know you're talking about a consumer base that huge, uh, scaring away a chunk of them by 
fixing the skunky flavor might be a risk not worth taking. Yeah, that's why I've always wondered about their move to cans, you know, and right. someone cracks a can, pours it in a glass, and goes, what the hell is this? I, I think no they, skunk ass. I think they age it in bottles first, let it get light struck, <laughs> and then can it. Right? For two reasons. <laughs> get the flavor and because, uh, screw it, we like filling landfills. <laughs> yeah, just so great. Uh yeah, I, you know, I believe uh, they attempted to change their bottle color, right? And at oh, one really? point, yeah. And then um, I'll have to look it up, or maybe I'll just make a chart to prove my, my yeah. point. Uh, but they had to quickly retract it because people didn't recognize the brand. They didn't sure. trust it, and just sales plummeted. So. They probably just have UV lights and, and yeah. in their sight glasses to skunk it on the way to the <laughs> bright tank. Yeah. Um, another, uh, let's see if I can pull it up. No, that's hazy. We're talking about that. So, another Brewband article. Thank you, Brewband, for all your <laughs> continued research. Uh, Justin Kendall, in particular. Uh, Illinois bar owner voiced opposition to law allowing tap rooms to sell other companies' beer and cider. So, I see this, you know, one, Washington is pretty, pretty progressive already because we can do that right now. Yeah, but there's limits. Uh, if, if it hasn't changed, which I don't think it has, you can sell other Washington breweries beer and it can only be up to like 30% of your total offering. Sure. Yeah. Which is an interesting set of limits to put on it. To still try to prevent it. But mm-hmm. I, I think the bigger thing is, uh, you know, the, the bar owner associations, they're, they're concerned about market share going away. Sure. And um, is this good for craft overall to be able to, hmm. to do that? No. Uh, yes. Well, Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. What would what is good for craft right now? What is even craft? This is it's an existential question, Jared. Well, so here here's here's my take. Until until craft represents independent craft represents <laughs> over fifty percent of sales in bars. We probably need to do any and everything to make sure that cons- on premise consumer sales are fifty percent of craft. Yeah, know? and then we can start making that strong argument. Okay, well, all right, bar owners, we'll try to be a little more. Whatever, whatever, but we're not there, right? We're not there yet. Maybe in some, like Oregon, Portland, I think they have forty-two percent, yeah, uh, share, but which is pretty fantastic for the country. We just need to get more of that. So I, I'm all for whatever, whatever's going to do that. And if that means okay, my consumer experience now is I get to go to this brewery and then taste this other ciders, other cideries cider, and this other brewery's beer. Great, yeah. And I don't know thoughts. Yeah, I, 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 at least my initial reaction is it's a good thing. One, you know, playing to that cooperation and collaborative spirit as well. And a lot of times you're uh, not just, it's like it's not as simple as just selling another brewery's beer, but you're giving your customers more options. A lot of the times I'll see like maybe one or two guest taps uh, and or like a, a gluten-free option or a cider and things like that. And it allows uh, individuals as well as groups of people um, more options when they're coming. So say you have a group of friends and you all go to a brewery, but one person in your group of friends likes cider instead or they right. uh, they want something that's like a gluten-free beer and something like that. So it allows some more flexibility in uh, consumer choice, which I think is generally a good thing. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, uh, it's a, and really, if you're looking at our purpose, spread the magic of independent craft, 
you know, a, a brewery operator could say, man, this brewery down the way, they got amazing beer and I'm going to share it with people because this is what beers, this is what craft beer is about, you know, these amazing and interesting, you know, revelations in production. So it's, let's spread it. I, I kind of like the limitations that Washington put on it, mm-hmm. you know, because the, the counter is the tide house issue where a big brewer from out of state can come in and open a tap room and, uh, you know, just use their force to, to make it difficult for other people. So, you know, I think that's weird. The three tier laws are most, by most measures, I think people in America view them as just strange and antiquated, but I think there's a lot of value in them that you can easily miss if you don't consider the ramifications. Sure. Yeah. And especially the, the money and the power behind Mm -hmm. certain brands that could truly ruin it uh, for for most other people. Well, Uh, yeah. And there's examples of it. I think the UK is an example where it was something like 80% of the pubs are owned by three breweries or something crazy like that. You know? So if you want consumer choice, the tied house laws are are important, right? Yeah, I, you know, and to the other side of the argument, we can say we know that they're um, from our wholesalers. Talk conversation with them and some some other bar owners that there is, you know, on premise draft is down. Yeah, because of the openings of t- tasting rooms and and all that and the diversity of of options. So I, I get it and I understand it. I I also think it's good to. It's good to push the market overall to to be better at their job to find other reasons locations you know different experience if I want to go to a bar that's got craft beer and wine and spirits and it's got a cool space because it's you know it's a arcade bar mm-hmm. right I'm gonna go there for that reason and having those diverse options is important but if I want to just sample you know a bunch of different styles of craft beer I'm gonna go to a different place right so I think it's good to push the industry overall, like to be better, try to do things to do better. And I, I understand the arguments, but for me, it's just about let's get us to 50% craft, 50, 50.1% craft. And then we can start really uh, having those different art, different conversations. Yeah. While we're there. So it reminds me of a quote. I can't remember who said it, but they said, make it in America. We should make it easy to make money, but hard to keep it. And the idea was, you know, that, kind of the American dream, you know, rather than having those with money be able to continue to hold on to it through legislation that says, you know, well, you can't do this and you can't do that. And it protects my business, make it hard to maintain and easy to start. Yeah. Which is a little scary. We're, you know, more of a maintaining at 12 years of of business, but uh, I think there's, I think there's some real wisdom there. Sure. Yeah. I think it's good. Uh, Moving on to, uh, from Thrillist. Uh, thanks. Thanks. Uh, Thrillist uh, for your... Did you mean Brewbound? I'm not uh, sure. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Uh, well, I think they linked to it. Um, oh. so, so there you <laughs> go. Perfect. That uh, makes sense. I just, I thought this was kind of a fun thing to kind of end the topics on. American beers of yesteryear, 23 old school brews your parents drank. Uh, I went through the list and uh, I'll just quickly go through and we can just quickly say yes or no if you've had this beer at any point or, oh, okay. or if your parents did, but... Um, so hold on, let me scroll down this list here. Uh, it's too bad Alex isn't here for this particular case because this is East Coast at Narragansett. Oh, yeah, he talked about that a lot. Yeah, really? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's like the, the rainier of the East. Yeah, kind of thing. yeah, he, founded in 1890, Rhode Island, New England. Um, no. part of the Red Sox, never had it. Uh, yeah, me neither. Rheingold, extra dry. Nope. I think that's 
Is that a Midwest beer? Maybe. Uh, it's the East Coast. Okay. Ballantine. Ballantine. It's in New York. Uh, Schaefer. No. No Schaefer? Didn't we? No. We didn't have that occasion. It's, okay. it's one of those labels that you think, oh, I've had that. Yeah. But it's probably just because it looks like the Lucky label or same colors or something. Yeah. So now in the Mid-Atlantic region, uh, National Bohemian. Found in 1885. What a strange name. What, <laughs> yeah, what the hell does that mean? First brewed 1885. I thought a bohemian was like a hippie kind of deal. Right. And national bohemian? I guess like Bohemia, like Czech Republic area, like they're saying they're the national pilsner, maybe? Yeah. Uh, oh, interesting. The land so, of pleasant living. Someone smarter than me. Thanks, Wes. Yeah, there you go. Or, or more cultured, anyways. <laughs> in, in the southeast, Dixie. I mean, that beer? No, I never. dated a girl named Dixie. Right. But... Yeah, she probably... Uh, never mind, I won't get into it. <laughs> uh, what's weird is she also dated my stepbrother, <laughs> but before I knew my wife. And hmm. So then, you know, you're talking about weird stuff, sixth grade, and she's like, uh, Dixie? Dixie blah, blah, blah? I'm like, yeah. Like, my brother dated her. I'm like, oh. <laughs> she, she broke his heart, too. <laughs> you're like, we, we reminisce on this... Uh... <laughs> Every family gathering. Is, yeah, exactly. Uh, what, what could have been, right? If only we could do that over a can of Dixie. <laughs> yeah, that would have been perfect. Damn it. Cheers. Uh, Jacks, uh, found in 1913, invented the six-pack that didn't last long. That's what they say. Huh. No. Uh, okay, Midwest, Falstaff, out of Texas. Never mm-hmm. heard of it? I've never mm-hmm. even heard of it. That's what's interesting. Um uh, to the 40 million listeners, if you have, chime in. Let us know if you've had one of these beers. Uh, Texas is considered the Midwest. Yeah, that's, you know, I, I, we can blame Thrillist. And, I, I really don't even know. I mean, it could very well be. I, I never assumed it was. And I, I kind of think it falls into that chunk, right? Kind of that l- longitude. Yeah. Launch, yeah. Yeah. Huh, who knew? Iron City in Pittsburgh. I was just hoping we didn't get a season to assist from them. <laughs> I know. Main thing. Yeah. 1861, this beer. Stroh's. I think Dane. I think I've heard Dane talk about this beer. Yeah. Seems like, how could I not have had Stroh's? But I, I right. also don't think I have. A behemoth in its day. Um, took on Schaefer. Okay. Upper Midwest. Schlitz. <laughs> I'm pretty I, sure I've had some Schlitz. Yeah. Schlitz have you, you've had Schlitz, yeah. Wes. Yeah. Um, now owned by PBR. See the pattern? So there's a few of those. Schaefer's owned by PBR. Yeah, I don't know how long ago it was, but the, the folks at PBR recognized that uh, nostalgia always wins. Yeah. And they just started snapping up all these brands, and I think they have like 80% of the, the regional legacy brands. Yeah. Uh, my father-in-law likes to say, when you're out of bud, you're up Schlitz Creek. I don't know if that was a common thing, but... That's it, interesting. Or maybe just, it was Schmitz Creek. I don't know. Yeah, I know. Maybe it's yeah, Schmidt. I'll have to ask him when I see him next. Schmidt, um, uh, still alive, still still working. I also had Schmidt Schmitties. We call it Schmitties. Oh yeah, I think yeah. I mostly had Schmidt's ice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which tells you what time period in my life I might have been drinking that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, nothing like seventh grade to drink beer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hams definitely. Oh yeah, yeah. you got to have hammies. I think you can get those in like uh, thirty six packs or something. Isn't that insane for like nine dollars? Like, yeah, this is great. I had a couple of buddies that they were just they were all about hams. Grain belt. <laughs> Nope. That's no one's just, ever heard of that. Look, they couldn't even find a picture of a can. Yeah, they're like, okay, here's something. Uh, old style. Own, mm-hmm. own, this is also another owned by Pabst, right? Owned yeah. Lone Star. Guess who owns this one? 
purchased yeah. by Paps. Do these guys own everything? That's what the commentary is here. Lone Star. That just makes me think of uh, Spaceballs for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Is that what it's called? The was the one character Lone Star. I think. I don't. I don't know. But I get. I get. I understand why. I should know for sure. I've seen that movie seventeen times. It's amazing. Uh, Pearl, San Antonio. Never, <laughs> no. Never, never had heard it. Of... Shinerbach. Yeah. Yeah. Never... I didn't realize they were as old as they are. Yeah, nineteen oh nine. Yeah, I thought they were just kind of like one of the early craft uh, producers, and boy, I couldn't have been more wrong. They were not nineteen eighty; they were nineteen oh eight, whatever you said there. Nineteen oh nine. Yeah, it's interesting. I've never had it, but yeah. really, is it good? Do you remember it? Is your is your it's, memory tell you it was good? It's solid. Yeah, yeah. It's not boring like most of those other beers. I mean, honestly, most of these would probably be indistinguishable. Right. But Shiner Bach is definitely you know it's a Bach. It's got some got some flavor. Got some character to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Olympia, Olympia beer. Right. Yeah, definitely had that. Yeah. Definitely had that. Uh, Rainier, yeah, still going strong. Brown Derby. <laughs> That sounds interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. So in 1973, Eureka, California, unlike many of its elders, Derby never went through prohibition. So it would be hard for us to have actually oh. really have it. But uh, that's why this article is about. Yeah, let's see. Eureka, what's there now? Uh, Lost Coast? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if they make more beer than Brown Derby <laughs> ever did. Probably. Acme? Boy, this feels like a fake brand. I know. Right? You know, it's like the cartoon brand. <laughs> I know. I have such a warm feeling toward anything Acme for whatever reason. Cause, uh, probably because I was home all by myself eating saltines and drinking <laughs> Cokes watching the Roadrunner. Right. Just, no, don't don't fall for You're dead. You just <laughs> I can't believe you did it again. <laughs> Idiot. Uh, so it was A, that's what it's called. Initially, just the A was just an extension of Ollie's Washington brand. So it was an extension of that. Uh, Lucky. Lucky they probably Lager. get sued by the Angels now. I yeah, say. I would think so. Lucky Lager. Heck yes. That was the go-to. Not in cans that they use here, though. It was the little stubby yeah. bottles. Oh, really? No. Lucky was a shotgun in beer. I mean, it, it, you could get a 24-pack for eight ninety-nine, and by God, we did. That, you know, I think that's, um, for me, Lucky was the... What I I enjoyed the puzzles, you know, the little. Oh really? Uh, yeah, the pictograms at the. That, that's what I liked. About, uh, not the drink. Even then, a thinker. <laughs> or just. A, I was just trying to get a, a shit faced. Jared's like, hey, I got a row. Th- this is cool. I solved this puzzle. Puzzle. Why don't I have any friends? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it's it. Uh, so that's it. You know, I, I thought it was kind of interesting. Really. Yeah. Did you ever drink the uh, Red Dog? Remember that beer, Red Dog? Mm. It's like an ice beer. It was same same people that did Ice House. Jeez. And I referenced a uh, there's a there's like a vulgar picture on Red Dog if you look at it right. And uh, I was talking to some guys that had drank a bunch and they had no idea. And so I was hoping to have that experience here again. But you guys haven't drank it, so right. Here's me. Here's the sound of me being let down. Yeah, that's mm. good. Disappointment. Wah, wah, wah. No, all all done. Uh, so that's it. So I just had a question, and, and this is actually a big question. So we don't have to, but we don't have to answer it uh, in complete detail. But I saw back to my favorite forum, Reddit, for you know, ask questions, and it, they were talking about different breweries opening up and what they liked and what they didn't like and the challenges and that kind of stuff. And it just asked me. I had the question of like, well, what does make a brewery great? Why does it get? Um, why does it get what? creates popularity or what hmm. what is it about the experience that is so good and you know is it is it buzz is it the small tiny volume is it the you know the atmosphere what is it you know 
Wes, you, you frequent breweries. Is it just because you love the, the art of beer making or is it, is there something more to it? Well, I think, I mean, the obvious first answer is well-crafted quality beer. Uh, and after, along with that, I'd say the, the importance of the people that actually work in that company can't be understated. Uh, or oh, sorry, can't be overstated. It's incredibly important. It'd be better if it was understated. <laughs> <laughs> They're more useless than we can even describe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, because there's a, it's just true that the the people make a company, and if you don't have people that are passionate about the craft and uh, what's being produced, then that's I think that's pretty evident if that's the case um and also it's evident if they are passionate beyond that um i think i don't know if size plays into it for me at least i think the people and product are the main two things past that it's you know you can respect if they make smart business decisions and you can usually tell uh if a brewery is on the app or is kind of going out the door, but I say people and products are my two main hmm. answers. Interesting. Uh, so was this supposed to be my opinion on what makes it great or what, why I think people think? I, well, I think, hmm. can you, do you separate the two? Do you have that ability to go, this is what people think? Uh, well, I have assumptions. I, okay. you know, no one can really know. So uh, I think just your personal, that's like, an interpretive experience. What, what I think then just let's go with what you think, uh, John and, growing Virginia uh, no you're, you're. well uh, yeah I guess the breweries that I think are great um, yeah they just embody I guess I'm so aligned with this idea of independent and craft and community oriented and um, you know really this dedication to the movement rather than just beer or business you know um, so I think of the the breweries like Sierra Nevada, you know, they're, they're huge, but their commitment to doing the right thing for the world, the, the brewery, their people, it's unparalleled and, and they're independent. And, and I just think that's, that's amazing because it's something that it's, it's a unique offering that craft brewers can provide in this marketplace of that's typically highly corporate and, and highly consolidated. So that's, what's great in my opinion, when, when there are owners and companies and organizations that are so dedicated to it that they just, they'll walk past untold amounts of money and opportunity and anything really just to continue the movement and to continue the, the community focus and decentralization of power and money and resources. I mean, yeah. it's, I think it's really cool. Yeah. I, you know, I think I mirrored that a little bit, uh, the, the, the culture, the culture that the, the brewery is creating. And, and I think more than anything, it's, witnessing curiosity play out and that's what i what's what i love seeing when i go to those experiences like oh they thought to do that that's cool oh they thought to play with the puzzle not just chug beer but they thought you know (laughs) right throwing some shade yeah that's right that's right um so that um and i think i said this before i'm i'm really you know it's maybe not the right maybe i shouldn't say this continually but I'm more about the culture. That's what I. That's what I personally enjoy about being uh, part of Iron Horse and the team here. Is we are we are those things that you said. So it's good that 
what you think works is also aligns with what Iron Horse attempts to do, right? Uh, try to be more culturally minded. And um, so I, that's what makes a brewery great, that attempt to do something beyond just themselves and help impact their community. And it's not like you see, uh, I mean, think of other industries too, like taco shops don't share, show up and they're like, hey, you're ta- you make a really good flauta. Why don't you have your flauta come over to my to my you know what I mean? It, it, it doesn't really doesn't really yeah. happen in any other industry let's either. Do a partnership flauta. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Let's do a collaboration. Uh, I'll put a taco in your burrito. It'll be a great thing. And God, missed opportunities. Although though. maybe this is it. Maybe that's yeah, what we're exactly. going to start seeing. <laughs> What's uh, that? It's a torito. Yeah, uh, it's a burrito yeah. and a torta. Yeah, that's so great. Um, so I think that's encouraging. Uh, what, what's interesting. That sometimes I experience this when I go. I went to the Brewers Conference a few years ago, and I always have this belief that what we're doing is distinct. And I remember going to the Brewers <laughs> Conference and going, "Ah, yeah. oh, shit, we're all the same." Yeah, we have a hoodie. Oh, good, you got a beard. Great, you're wearing some uh, rolled up pants. Oh, fantastic, we're all the same. Yeah, but you then got something sarcastic on your shirt. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. Oh, yeah, yeah. irreverent. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> But then, and so initially getting over that and going, oh, but actually the greater purpose is this is what makes it a unified front, a relatively unified front. This sure. idea that it is bigger than just the ability to turn a profit, which we want to all exist. We want to make money. We want to you know, pay people, et cetera, et cetera. But it is bigger than that. So it's exciting. I think that's so when you see those breweries that are doing that, I think it's a really, a really good thing. So I think your product and people really plays right into that bigger piece, right? Yeah, of course. The guy from the production side of the business. I'm, I'm glad you feel that way. That's yeah. a good, that's yeah. a good uh, focus for you to have. Um, you should. It would have been great, Wes, if you like just pure profitability, one hundred percent profitability, reorganization, it's yeah. euphemism. Although I wonder if the uh, you know the, for lack of a more enlightened term, the fellowship of breweries is at risk. You know, I I get this uh, some from you know people I know, and they'll. You know, oh, is the brewery down the street taking your business or um, right? And, you know, is there more shit talking among brewers and less openness to sharing and or is it imagined? And is it part of the fact that, you know, the, the proliferation and the not I'm not going to say saturation, but like we're reaching a point at which there's only so much holding capacity right. in the market. I mean, I don't I'm pretty insulated. Any thoughts that you guys have on on that? Well, well, back to my original uh, or my other point about once we hit that fifty percent peak, then it, then probably elbows are going to be out and knives are going to be out a little bit. I think, and, but hopefully not. But I I, I think that um, I think I like to believe that we're going to rise above that idea that we will continually try to work cooperatively where we can and distinctly where we need to. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Although you're seeing the top ten brewers and only one of them's up, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How long will people take less lunch, right? With uh, with good spirits, yeah. I don't know, Wes. What do you think? Uh, I mean, that top ten, like that end of it, is definitely, I would say, kind of a unique situation. But on <clears throat> the long tail side, you know, all of us mid to smaller sized breweries, um, at least. It's just anecdotal, but my experiences are still almost uh, overwhelmingly positive whenever I talk with other people oh, nice. and things like that. Uh, just had a great 
I was having a beer at the other brewery in town a couple days ago. Yeah. And ran into the owner and one of the brewers from a newer brewery in Yakima, Single Hill Brewery. Oh. And they were very uh, friendly, talked about a few different things. Uh, They were talking about how they're making a fresh hop soon. And I know we have some fresh hop things in the works as well. Mm -hmm. So they were super open about what they're doing. And uh, it was a good conversation. Nice. Yeah. So... Thanks for asking the question. I think it, it is big and whatever, but uh, I think it's, you know, it's kind of good to get through it. Um, anything else we, you guys want to talk about? I mean, we've kind of got a little longer than we tend to, but otherwise I'll just encourage our listeners to give us a three-star review. I, I always like to point out where I'm dumb, and uh, Wes said long tail, and I've heard this term for like four years, and it was probably two months ago it finally occurred to me what it meant. I was like, oh, I see. I get it. <laughs> yeah. God, it took so long. I just don't understand what happens in my mind sometimes. Yeah, e- even the uh, into you know if you t- intuit the the meaning, it still takes a little bit to go. Oh, oh, that's. I, don't, I can't picture the metaphor. I guess picture the statement. Yeah. Well. No. But. I, hmm. I guess I wasn't focused on the taper. You know. Yeah. It's like <laughs> it's just. So it's long. It, it like lags a poly, behind. Is it like a polywog? Yeah. <laughs> what the hell's going on what here? What the fuck is happening? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So that's all I wanted to add. Okay. Thanks for uh, asking. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. You're welcome. <laughs> so useful. Perfect. That was really... Uh, we're just going to cut that out, Greg. Uh, <laughs> oh, no! Damn it. Uh, so if any of you 40 billion listeners out there, I want to email us with your comments or questions, uh, podcast at ironhorsebrewery.com. Um, like I said, leave us a one, three, five star review on uh, wherever we're at so that we can uh, feel bad or feel great about ourselves. Either way, honesty is more important than uh, asking for fake reviews. Uh, I mean, you that, can always abstain if you have a bad Yeah, yeah I suppose we could, you yeah. could say that. You just don't say anything. That's at also all. truth. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Absence of information. Yeah. Uh, but don't suppress it, right? Uh, no. Right? So if you yeah. really feel compelled, then email. Greg at Iron Bad review. Call us. Yeah. Tell us why. Yeah. So we can improve it. Um, yeah. So I think that's it. We're going to get back to whatever it is we're going to get back to. And uh, you guys uh, have a great have a great day out there. See ya, fellers. Bye.